Welcome to the Culture Builders podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance builds strong cultures. Hosted by Jane Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. You're listening to the latest episode of the Culture Builders podcast. I'm Chris Preston, and I'm joined today by Heather Hansom. And Heather is a global communications specialist and also author of the business book, Unmuted. I'm going to get Heather to say hello, but first of all, I just want to flag her great news. Heather, take it from there. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah, well, the, the book, Unmuted, has just been shortlisted for the Business Book Awards in London. So I'm going to be flying out for the big gala very soon. Really looking forward to it. Well, Congratulations and good luck. And I do think that appearing on this podcast is a mark of good luck because the last person who was shortlisted spoke to us and then went on to win. So fingers crossed. All right. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to get you to talk about your story because you've got a massive topic there. International communication, my goodness, or global communication. You're talking about the whole world talking. So start off small. Where did it all begin, Heather? I love that. Talking about the whole world talking. That's exactly what I do in a very good nutshell. It started, I would say, in ninth grade, first year of high school back in California where I grew up, and I joined the speech and debate team. And at my school, that was actually a class. So I took speech lessons, practice every single day for four years. And I competed in an event that's called International Extemporaneous Speaking. That was the event that I went to nationals in. I was ranked 11th in the nation. I was very passionate about this particular event where you had to know everything about all the international events of the day. And this was the late 90s. So we were talking war in Bosnia. We were talking the Pope visiting Cuba. It was Rwandan genocide. It was a lot of really big things happening in the world. And I would have to go in, draw three topics. I had seven, uh, 30 minutes to prepare a seven-minute speech. And I loved it. And I got really interested in international relations and in how the world works and cultural difference. So I went off to study uh, international studies with a focus in language and society, a sociolinguistics degree. Uh, I did a lot of study abroad. I worked abroad throughout Switzerland. I studied in Austria, Malta. I was doing a degree in German as well. So that's where that came in. And during all of that, I met a lovely Dane. So when I graduated, (laughs) I moved to Denmark because what California girl would go to Denmark unless it was for a man? (laughs) So (laughs) that's where I ended up. And I was there for about four years and then came to Singapore. We've gone back and forth a couple times now, uh, but now I've been abroad over 20 years and always living in very international environments, speaking multiple languages myself, and really living what my clients come to me to help them with, which is feeling very confident in whatever language they have to speak, and especially English. So Living in Singapore, particularly, it's such an international environment. We have a huge number of expats, and even the local population is so multicultural that every conversation we're in is a multicultural, multidimensional, multilingual conversation, 
which I find incredibly interesting and inspiring to be around. And, and that's why I do what I do is, is to help people to communicate well in English and feel as confident as their own native languages. So give me a top of the jigsaw box in terms of your approach and the things that you talk people through in terms of that. It's interesting you say talking in English. I'll, I'll loop back to that because I've, I've got a question there around for you. But what are we getting people to do that, that improves their ability to do what you're talking about? One of the areas that I became known for very quickly in Southeast Asia is around articulation. Typically, this industry is known as accent reduction, accent neutralization, which I personally very forcefully do not agree with. I did a TEDx on this in 2018. I talk about how to speak bad English perfectly. The global economy is run by the English language and the way we are using it in our communication and the biases that come into play are very, very important that we recognize. So a lot of people come to me saying, Heather, I want to sound like you, which I immediately say, that's crazy. Why would you want to sound like me? Let's, uh, let's be intelligible. Let's ensure that you can be understood no matter who you're speaking to, no matter where you are in the world. That is my philosophy. And that is what I try to instill in my clients. So it's about how do we show up, speak up, inspire action, which happens to be the subtitle of Unmuted. How do we show up, speak up, and inspire action in this global economy with the tools that we have with full confidence? And that's that's where it all begins. I, as you're talking, I'm, I'm really bad for this. I do ponder stuff. And you've just hit the word that I was pondering, which is the confidence. And it, it feels like what you're talking about is giving people confidence rather than compliance. Because yeah. I've, where I've worked with teams in Asia, I've noticed one of the things is if people don't feel confident that they can talk in fluent English, they won't share. And I think that's such a shame because there's, an, there's a great phrase, which is a, a accent is a sign of bravery. Mm-hmm. And I think that it seems to be that's what you're talking to in terms of it's not about perfection. No. And that's what I say. It's about connection, not mm. perfection. It's about how do you communicate and connect with people across language, across cultures, across departments, across companies. Uh, across anything that is different Mm. from yourself. How do you do that in a way with your confidence intact and in a way that connects? And that's, that's the most important piece. And I think that is really the only piece that overcomes any of that linguistic bias, accent bias, which is very, very common throughout the entire world, is if you walk in and you're confident, we don't notice the accent. We don't notice the grammar mistakes. Yeah. We don't. Nobody's listening or cares because they just see you and your message and your passion. So it's so important that people recognize that and and really bring them their full self to the table and participate. At, at the same time, there's plenty we can do on the other side to really listen and to create space for them to speak up because it's so easy for us as the white Westerners to walk in and dominate. We're very confident in the language. We have linguistic privilege to the extreme. And walking in with English as a native language, being seen as very eloquent and Western educated and all of the other things that come along with this uh, overwhelming colonial mindset that is still hanging on here, uh, it can be very difficult mm. to stand up to that. And so you'll find that there a lot of people in this part of the world are even more hesitant 
to speak up when when the white Westerner is in the room. I'd, I've never heard that phrase, linguistic privilege. Can you open that mm-hmm. up a bit more? Because I think that's a really powerful thing to understand and absorb. Yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunately one of the few people who talks about this, and I feel very strongly about it. We don't realize how privileged we are being born into English. Mm. We are actually in the huge minority. We're outnumbered four or five to one at this stage in the in the world. And yet we dominate all the English discussions. We dominate global business. If you were to come here to Singapore, and I know you've done work in Hong Kong, it's very, very similar. The leaders tend to be the expats. They're put into these top positions, not because the education is any better, because, I mean, Singapore has some of the top universities in the world, and and they ace and get the highest scores on every international assessment and test all the way through schooling. It isn't an issue of who's the smartest, yet somehow internationals with English, especially as a native language, get treated with enormous privilege. They get the jobs because we equate eloquence and strong communication skills with leadership. Mm. And there's really no connection there. (laughs) There's none. Yet we benefit from that. I mean, there's a reason why I could start a company at age 26 and walk into C-suite offices and have top leaders hire me. I think, first of all, they thought I was older than I was. But other than that, (laughs) you know, I had... I had a level of eloquence that they had admiration for, even though they probably knew I I was on the younger side, but I have a feeling they thought I was probably about 10 years older than I was at the time. Uh, But all of this plays into that, the privilege that we have. First of all, yes, I'm Caucasian. That's a big part of it. I'm from America. That's a big part of it. And I also am a native English speaker. And If you look at English language teaching all over the world, there's massive bias there around hiring native Mm -hmm. English speakers, even though technically native English speakers are not necessarily the best teachers. Uh, They haven't experienced learning a language, many of them, if they're monolingual. They have no idea what the learner is going through in mastering the language, where they're struggling. Uh, So often the native speaker isn't the best choice anyway. No, I'm shamefully British in terms of I could only speak one language. And the, mm. the joke is that if you're British, the way you speak a foreign language is by speaking English louder. So yes, that people yes, exactly. You. That, <laughs> yep, that tends to be the solution that so many of us come up with. Yeah. If I just say it louder yeah. and slower, then they'll understand. And that's really the worst thing you could do, especially in Southeast Asia, where many of these people are also native speakers. They're just native speakers Mm. of a variety of English that is different than ours. And we look at it differently. We don't consider Singapore English or Hong Kong English or Malaysia English to be at the same level. Yet they've been fully educated in English. The majority of people, at least in Singapore, Singapore situation, the great, great majority are fully English educated in the job market today. And there must be a cost to business. I'm I'm thinking back to a few years ago, I was running a development session with a group of German leaders. It was some pretty top-level stuff in terms of the content we were playing with. And they were absorbed, they were engaged. But what I was thinking was, they're also having to translate it and then translate it back for me out of courtesy. Yeah. So the experience mm-hmm. was less because they were th- talking in English, thinking in German, talking in English. So I was massively grateful. But then we're talking about some of their fears and... Their number one fear was being on a conference call with the Brits. So I said, well, why? You're all brilliant. (laughs) He said, the problem is when you're on a conference call with the Brits, you all start joking 
and giggling yeah. and it gets silly and it's hard to follow. And we are sat staring at the squat box, wondering what on earth is going on. And when I guess at that point, what happens is people retreat and there's mm -hmm. the loss, the cost. Yeah, they feel excluded. And this is where this is really what we're talking about is a diversity and inclusion mm. issue. Yet it's never discussed in diversity and inclusion. We talk about the list of words you shouldn't be using. And that is so basic compared to what's happening at a linguistic level within the organization. How are you excluding people in your meetings when you buddy up and tell jokes with other native speakers? And um, who are you excluding when you use a lot of jargon and idioms? Americans and Brits and Australians are all really bad at this, about yes. bringing in our cultural idioms from sports that are only played in our countries, you know? <laughs> I mean, Americans, we have so many baseball, even touch base comes from baseball. The whole nine yards, that's American football. Yeah. Nobody knows what that means. And I even say that all the time and forget. We're so, so bad at it because it's such an integral piece of our language and we don't even recognize that yeah. it is an idiom. It's a saying. We don't even know how to translate it. If if I say, how else should you say touch base? Because it makes no sense. If you take that those two words out, what does that mean when you say, let's touch base next week? How does a foreign language learner even process that? And a lot of us have trouble coming up with a translation. I mean, what would you say? Like, <laughs> should we talk next yeah. week? Can I call? I will call you next week. I will send you an email next week. What What do we say instead? We're so used to saying. Yeah. It. So we're really bad at that. Yeah, and we're a sea seafaring nation. So mm -hmm. so many of our phrases come from seafaring. So things like beyond the pale, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of the bitter end, the, all these things. Yeah. The, the they come from a reference that even we don't understand, but we've got that mm -hmm. connection. And right. And even us talking, I tell my clients, stuff you're saying right now, that first one, I've never even heard before. Yeah. We're both native speakers and I don't even understand half of the idioms that come out of the UK. I've had really good friends that, yeah. that come from all over the UK and they'll say things. I have to stop the conversation and say, what does that mean? I don't know what that is. Yeah. And and Australia, the same, right? But right so there's the confidence, We don't even understand each other. That you, yes. That's the confidence. I will stop you. Yes. But this, and I'm, mm -hmm. that's one of my questions in terms of the cultures that you work with. I'm guessing mm -hmm. some of the more collectivist cultures, you don't get people speaking up. And that's the challenge. Yeah, it's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge. And no, you could be blue in the face saying, please come to me, speak up, tell me your views, tell me what you think. I want to hear it. I want us to feel psychological safety. I don't buy it that that works in an Asian context no. in the same way we think it does in a Western no. context. It doesn't. It's very, very different. And I think one of the, the big examples that we, we help organizations understand a lot is working with Japanese cultures. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Confidentially between all our listeners, Sony for many years would run a program titled Working with the Japanese. And it was for a positive reason, but in the workbooks that they shared with people, there was a whole page of phrases that the Japanese would say. So it's things like, that's interesting, or leave that with me, or I'll consider it, or it's a good idea. And then next to it, what, what they actually were saying was, no, 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 no. But they and there's the in Japan there's a phrase that women use when they're proposed to, and they don't want to say yes. And the phrase is along the lines of, "I will consider that forever." And oh. <laughs> I will never be done considering it. Therefore, yes, it means yes, I therefore, will never be yes. marrying you. But then you take How that sort of culture. That? That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> and then we turn up with all our weird idioms and and rapid speech and and 
casual disregard for others, you, you can see the perfect storm. Do you, so yeah. talk me through. So if I'm, say if I'm a, a Japanese business executive and I come to you and I say, Heather, help me communicate in this crazy world that is the kind of the English language. Where do you start and how do you help people? And I know don't give me their trade secrets, but what are the <laughs> things that it's important for these people to understand and help and work with? I'm usually first asking them really why they're here, right? What what mm. is it that's driving them to come and see me? Is it a HR manager who sent them a boss? Is it their own insecurities? Have they received feedback specifically that they are the problem, that they are hard to understand? Typically, from the Japanese perspective, they're coming to me for clarifying their speech. Part of the problem in the Asian context as well is that in many countries, they are taught English and they're taught all subjects very differently. So they are not expected to speak up so much in class. They are not expected Mm. to participate. They're expected to listen and learn and regurgitate what they've been taught. And they're very, very, very good at that. Uh, But this becomes a big problem if you're going to enter the global economy and you've been taught English from a book and listening to your teacher and haven't had a lot of conversational practice. They've never been taught articulation or clarity of speech. They haven't uh, necessarily been taught um, just conversational skill in general and, and how to be persuasive and how to give a presentation and in English. So they don't always have the vocabulary for that as well. So a lot of people in Southeast Asia, Asia come to me because they were never really told how to pronounce things. And so we might first be looking at that. We do full speech assessments covering everything from sounds to patterning to word mm. stress to intonation uh, to show the difference in patterning between Asian languages, which are very varied. I'm really generalizing by grouping them and, and English patterning because these are huge, huge differences. And so it's a, a lot around raising awareness about the differences between their native language and English, where the holes were in how they were taught English. Um, I don't go into the grammar and the word choice so much. If I, if Usually people who come to me are quite fluent, um, yeah. which a lot of people in business out here are. They are very, very <laughs> fluent. So um, they that's not really what they need the help with. They need the help with gaining that confidence. So it's about bringing a lot of these things to attention of why are people misunderstanding? Where are they misunderstanding? Let's come up with all lists of words Mm -hmm. that you use all the time in your work, ones that we know are going to be difficult. Let's practice those and get really clear, or let's find synonyms so that you don't have to use those words. And we can use different words that mean the same thing. Um, If they ask me for idioms, which some do, I'm very, very much against teaching idioms unless it's only for understanding. So I say, I will teach you so you can understand, but I never want to hear you use them. (laughs) And many teachers around the world hate me for that. They think I'm absolutely wrong that, you know, idioms are a cultural bridge and everything else, which they are if you explain what they mean. (laughs) Most people don't. (laughs) So, yeah. Did you ever see, or I would recommend you go watch, there's a Star Trek episode the next generation, Picard, okay. where they meet a planet or a race that only speaks in idioms. They only oh the my whole gosh, how uh, am I, it, the how whole language and the way that they get Picard to understand the idioms is by taking him into a situation of adversity 
and eventually he understands the idioms. But it, the whole, it's fascinating. You would love it because yeah, you can see the problem. It. But I watched it and thought, that must be what it's like working with a dyed-in-the-wool Brit who talks half the time yes. in phrases they even don't understand. But two questions I'm really fascinated to ask. One is, mm -hmm. do you see certain nations that when you when they talk to each other that have the biggest challenges in terms of the interpretation of what each other are saying? I shy away from national comparisons. What I see as a bigger issue is a monolingual English speaker, doesn't matter where they're from, a monolingual trying to speak with a bilingual multilingual speaker. Right. That is where I see the biggest problem because monolingual speakers typically are completely oblivious to the difficulties the other person is having in understanding you and processing the language yeah. and translating and thinking and how much time that takes, as well as not having an understanding for the confidence issues that are involved with that, yeah. not understanding why they aren't confident to just speak up. Oh, they must not have anything to say because they would have said it if they had something to say. And we mm. make assumptions believing they're like us and we take the way their communication style to mean something that it actually doesn't mean because we forget and we don't know very often that they're having a very different experience in communicating in, in English than we are. Yeah. So I see a much, much bigger problem along those two cultural lines of monolingual versus multilingual. Multilingual English speakers, people who've been born into English but speak multiple languages, typically are a little bit better at this because they've been through it. They get it. They yeah. know it. And I mean more than just high school Spanish. Like you've actually lived in a country and you've tried to speak the language, you've tried to work and give a presentation and then then you have a better understanding of it yeah. uh, than, than someone who's never had to deal yeah. with that. And That's the biggest cultural marker difference I see happening. Yeah. And I do think that because I'm using the British because I'm British so I can speak confidently about the, the problems that we have that mm -hmm. we are so bad at other languages that I've, I find this a lot when I try to use a different language the person I'm speaking to will instantly switch into yes. English because I guess <laughs> what they're thinking is oh my goodness he is so bad at German this is painful so we get away with it I think the only yeah, the only yeah, nation yeah. that doesn't do that is probably the French because I think the French are much more right. you're in France you speak French quite rightly speak our language we are so yeah. lazy yeah. around it but the other thing I'm, yep. I'm thinking is, what's what's the advice for me then and others like me who are mm -hmm. monolingual? And this is a massive eye-opener conversation because I don't and haven't been thinking the way that you're talking, but I should be. Working with international mm. clients, I'm happy yes. to chat, but what I should be doing is, is being better at thinking. So what mm -hmm. are the tips for me to make sure I'm helping? Okay, there's quite a long list. You're taking a run up uh, at this one, aren't you? I can see. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they can't see me right now. I'm rubbing my hands together. I'm ready for this one. Uh, it, it is a long list of things we need to pay attention to. From a linguistic perspective, as far as sounds are concerned, we know from linguistic research there are a couple sounds that make a difference. For me as an American, I have to be careful with my T's. So I have to say water not water, oh, an international and internet, not internet and international and important. Mm. And many British varieties also, you know, have a problem with this, but I need to be really careful with my T's and the one that the Brits don't like usually, depending on where you're from, is the R. 
So you have to think about someone who is learning a language. They're going through a process of trying to hear the sounds and they're writing the word in their head and they're trying to process it and understand what you're saying. And when you're speaking in a non-rhotic way, which means dropping the R's, which is typical of the majority of varieties of British English, where you'll say car park instead of car park, like I would, it's harder to understand on a global mm. level for lower level English speakers. Um, if you consider the fact that in China, they're focused on learning American English now, there's more Chinese learning American English than Americans. So they're also starting to hear a lot more of the American variety. So British English in particular, by using a little bit stronger R, it's going to be easier for them mm -hmm. to understand. So this is just from a very basic linguistics standpoint. More than that, we need to drop the idioms that we talked about, stay away from acronyms, abbreviations, technical jargon, which is just good practice, whether you're speaking English or a foreign language, uh, stay away from all of that. We need to slow down. The biggest thing though that we need to do is pause. We need longer pauses between our sentences, longer pauses between our paragraphs, keeping in mind that listeners are translating and they may need an extra second. We also need to give a lot more time when we ask a question and we're trying to gain responses from an audience, especially if it's a group and we're asking people to speak up in a group. When you're ready to say, okay, good, all right, let's move on, somebody was just about to put their hand up. They were just about to get the confidence and figure out the words and how they were going to say it to speak up and you've moved on. So we need to give a lot more space at the table and we need to be inviting people into the conversation. So instead of going in knowing we're going to dominate, we have to slow it down, mm -hmm. slow down the entire discussion and pay attention to who has spoken and who has not and actually ask and invite people in. Also being very aware of nonverbal cues, the body language, the quick inhale that someone takes when they're about to say something and but you've already started talking over them those are the things we have to start noticing and paying attention to so that we're giving the room for others to speak up um also there's the obvious things don't laugh at the accent don't make fun of their pronunciation um don't make them feel dumb or excluded by chit-chatting with someone your buddy who's from the same country or the same town or or from headquarters with you these are the real typical problems mm. that we're running into globally. And, and then there's the entire cultural piece on top of that, of having the cultural awareness and sensitivity that goes along with communicating across language and culture. Mm. So that was a very quick laundry list. Uh, obviously, we could do a whole hour just on this at least, um, but, but that gets you started. And as you're talking, I'm absorbing but also wincing internally because... I <laughs> I, I've, I have had feedback directly from my teammates saying literally people don't understand what you just said because I will use a colloquialism and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a Yorkshire Brit and Yorkshire's got plenty mm. of idioms that no one understands yes. outside of Yorkshire. Yes. And in international situations, I've used them and then people said you need to re-explain. But you're right about the kind of the, the, the pause and the gap that I think it's just kind of for my simple brain what you're talking about is changing gear in that conversation. So slower, you know, less rich and being okay with that, more space and time. Because mm -hmm. in a workshop situation, you are frantically trying to keep the energy up and the pace and you're rushing and you're kind of running yes. around like a crazy thing. And actually, mm -hmm. you're right that if people are sitting there and they don't know what you're saying and they're terrified to answer, what is the point? 
and they're terrified to ask as well. Yeah. So them, especially in a in an Asian context, them having to ask, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand, or could you explain that again, or I'm confused. These are all ways that they're losing face. So they're not going to stop you. Mm. They're going to sit there and nod and let you continue because it's embarrassing to say, I, I don't get it, even though probably no one in the room gets it. But <laughs> <laughs> they aren't really going to stop you and say that. The other big mistake we we do around this piece on understanding is we'll say, so any questions? Everybody understand? And then we see a room full of nodding heads and we say, great, good, yeah. let's continue. Yeah. That is not how you check for understanding. And that might be okay in our Western cultures where we're used to speaking up and being like, actually, yeah, wait, what did you mean here? Yeah. But that's not going to happen in the majority of the world and especially across the language barrier. So we really need to be better at checking for understanding in a different way. So if it's a meeting saying, okay, so can we just go around? I want to hear what's your action now after this yeah. meeting? What, what's your next step? Then you find out that, oh, actually, they didn't understand yeah. anything that was just said. And you can calmly and politely redirect, mm. right? And re-explain without, you know, embarrassing them in that yeah. sense. But that's that's the way we have to check for understanding. So what are your key takeaways? What are your learning points? Mm. In a in a training seminar, for example, I'll have everybody write their key learning points on post-its and put it up on a on a screen or just to make sure, okay, is everybody following? Mm. What are you taking away from this conversation? Even if it's a Mentimeter poll. And actually, that's a great way to include people as well who are a little bit more shy to speak up. If it's anonymous, they're much more willing to write sentences and fill out forms and do all this stuff on Mentimeter and anonymous polling. But when you ask them to participate in the chat, maybe they don't want to. Yeah. And they're certainly not going to unmute. So there's there's ways of reconsidering how we're communicating in global settings to make sure we are including every voice and bringing everyone to the table. Yeah, I I am on top of that one. That's the one thing I can take myself a tick around because I yes. I avoid assumptive closes. And I think that's something that I've, I've learned because you're right. If mm -hmm. I say all good or do you need anything else mm -hmm. it's a very mm -hmm. challenging statement it's and it's like when it, it, i always say that most cashiers get it wrong when they say do you need help packing your bags no i don't need mm -hmm. help the ant the question is can i and so i think mm -hmm. when one of the things i always use is at the end of a workshop i say what else can i tell you yeah and then it's, it's people can ask of an I like offer that. and but i, uh -huh. I do think it's what you're reminding me is the need to be so much more considerate and, and think through not what you're saying, but who's receiving it. So, yeah, the other problem with communication training is we tend to focus on the speaker and we're always so focused on the speaker, the speaker, how to speak in a way that people want to listen. This is such a common phrase. There's a hugely popular TED talk with that title, how to speak so people want to listen. And people come to me saying, I want to speak so people will listen to me. And I think we're going about it backwards, mm. especially from the monolingual side. We need to learn how to listen so that people want to speak because that is the only way they will open up and share their ideas with us. That's the only way we can create new innovations and get our teams working together. We need to learn to listen a lot better in a world that we're used to pretty much dominating. Mm. And it's easy for us in every conversation. It's easy for us to be seen as eloquent. A lot of us are tied up. Our identities are linked to our high level of education, our wide and broad vocabulary. I had to mourn my vocabulary 
to be honest. When I moved to Denmark, I realized really quickly all those words I had to study for the, you know, college entrance exams were not <laughs> going to be used anymore. Yeah. And I mourned my vocabulary. And wow. really now I couldn't care less. I don't want to go back to speaking like that. Um, but you you have to remove yourself from that. That can't be how you define yourself and how you plan to make your mark in business is by using big words and sounding very important and being the eloquent speaker so that other people look bad and are confused. Then there's no point in communicating. That is not yeah. good communication. It is not good leadership. And we keep giving gold stars to that behavior and promoting people for it. And until that starts changing, it's going to be very hard to give everyone a voice. So there's a lot in the way we are going about communication, especially from the Western perspective, that needs to shift. And we need to raise a lot more awareness mm. about that. I love that as a point to finish on in terms of learn to listen. I think that's a great phrase. Mm. But and I was about to say <laughs> to do my Columbo clothes, but people won't understand that because that's a colloquialism. <laughs> you know, Columbo... I probably won't even understand you it. You <laughs> must. You know, Columbo always, as he was leaving the room, he'd, he'd turn and say, so just one more question. And um, so just one more question. Any, you don't <laughs> okay. never watch Columbo. Pete, oh, I'm so I old. Mean, I I, I, <laughs> it's an American show. <laughs> Help me I out. I know, here. but you know, I think you got it later in the UK, maybe. Yes. You know, maybe it was out I think of we the, did. Yeah. We're watching other stuff by the time you were hooked on Columbo. Yeah, those of a certain age and nationality <laughs> will know what I mean. Everyone else is staring at the, the speaker. But just one last quick <laughs> question. Are there any tools that you would recommend that people could use to help with this situation? Because I, I'm always keen that we give, and you've given loads of practical advice, but anywhere, obviously the book, so Unmuted, shortlisted. Yes, and Unmuted, I talk about a lot of, yes, shortlisted for the Business Book Awards. And <laughs> uh, now, hopefully on a, on a floating on luck from this podcast. Um, yes, there's the book, of course. Uh, I publish a lot about this. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm on a lot of podcasts talking about all of these topics around accent bias. I have an entire resources page on heatherhansen.com. If you go to resources, there are tons and tons of interviews, videos, articles that I've written about all of these topics. Uh, but more than that, uh, another great resource for especially those of you in the UK a huge study has just been done by a group called Accent Bias Britain, and they've put out a really wonderful amount of research around how accent bias is coming up for different native speakers of, of English within the UK, yeah. because it's a very intense problem there, just among yourselves, not even considering foreign speakers of English in the UK. But I mean, you're from Yorkshire, so I'm sure that you have experienced at times you know, different reactions mm. to the way that you speak. Although I don't feel that you're putting on your true Yorkshire with me right now. <laughs> I know, was I told think differently with other people. My first job, I was public speaking to crowds mm -hmm. and I was told to lose my accent. I was yep. literally told you've got to lose your accent. And I, I like you, I mourn it, but equally mm -hmm. I understand it. Mm -hmm. Heather, yep. thank you so much. I'm going to echo your words here. So this has been massively useful because... I've learned so much. So I don't want to talk like you, but I want to think like you around how I talk, if that makes sense. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Chris. That's well, a really nice way of saying it. Really appreciate the time. And what I would say is fingers crossed for the book. I hope you come over here and walk away with a prize. If not, just have a good night. And brilliant. Take care. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.